Welcome to Ubu Dub number eight, and I am beyond excited that I finally managed to persuade Mr. Johnny Dramet to speak with me on the Ubu Dub podcast. Uh, we have split it into two parts, so this is the first. And although we will be coming to our next release of By Order of Mayor Paul Lickie, which he, which he, which he, it's all about the magic beats. That's what it's about. We're going to hear about the heart again, the God again, all again. Oh, it's all about the magic beats. Let's go. <laughs> by Cherry Red Records. This is more concentrating on the on the earlier years. He has so much to say. He was there at the very, very beginning. Enjoy. Welcome to Ubu Dub and we're joined by Johnny. Now, Johnny, do I call you Johnny Dramet or? Well, let's use Dramet every time, but you can... Johnny's kind of a figment of my imagination <laughs> and... Um, you know, so I'm, I'm 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 cautious about who who gets to call me Johnny. You can, David can. Um, I guess people I don't know can. Um, you know, <laughs> but, but, who but can't what, what is more the question. Like, but what people kind of like I know call me John. I'm thinking they're looking for something. I feel that when when people call David Dave, it's like, you know, you don't know him at all. You just don't know him. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, the dramat, I presume, comes from the name of your record shop, which, of course, was really and truly hugely instrumental in the start of everything. Tell us about your record shop. Well, yeah, I named myself after the store. The store was originally named rather plagiaristically, but it was originally named Hideo's Discodrome. And so, and this, and I say plagiaristically because there was a thing on a Firesign Theater album for uh, a, a, a place, uh, an imaginary place called Hideo Nuts Boltsodrome where you got to, uh, where ordinary people could pit their might against uh, toasters and other household appliances. Uh, and, and that, that makes no sense. That makes what? no sense. That makes no sense. Explain. How do you pit well, yourself against a toaster? Well, because these toasters were equipped with a stomping and seizing module that will keep a man punching for hours. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hours until he is drunk with power. 
So that sounds like the kind just, of toaster I, like I need. That, I like that bit, and and then also I just like the. I like the word drone because it's kind of a, you know, mid-century modern 50s retro uh, suffix. Um, in Cleveland, there was one other drone around, which was um, the Euclid Roller Drone, which is a roller skating rink. So I, I actually went out to the Roller Drone one time. Like, what do you mean there's another drone in town? I better find out about it. <laughs> So it was a name that really reflected, uh, you know, a complete lack of marketing sense like we would have. Uh, I mean, like everybody just started saying the drone. It's just the drone. Yeah. And, and that's just so much easier. Before that, only only my grandfather, who is also named John, who I am named after, he is the only person that called me Johnny up to that point. Oh. Uh, and uh, but but I was thinking of a more sleazy, slimy Johnny, and that's what <laughs> that he was. I'm sure that's why you know there was a show that david gave uh you know a disaster drone show mm -hmm. uh, uh out in los angeles i don't remember was that like in the 90s i think and so he asked if he could use the disaster drone name i said yeah I, you know i like any kind of you know publicity and recognition and uh and then he went further with it like you know, the publicity stated that Johnny Dromet presents. And I think this excited some of the fans, and we kind of pretended, you know, on a certain level, we were pretending that Johnny Dromet was managing this show, which, in fact, all I was doing was selling T-shirts outside at the merch table. David really took it further than even I knew because secretly, you know, I mean, I since I was outside telling T-shirts, I didn't really know what was happening on the stage. And David, uh, you know, was telling people that Johnny Dromet is presenting the show and all that, you know, which that would have pleased me had I known that. But, but at the time, there were things... As with the original Disaster Drum shows in Cleveland, which we'll get to uh, if we get back to chronological order here, um, you know, uh, you know, people were thinking, "Yeah, I was really in charge." And so there was a moment I'm out at the merch table, and one of the roadies, or you know, I don't forget what the proper term for the guys that work for the theater in Los Angeles. Uh huh. Uh, um, Comes up to stage comes up to yeah comes up to me at the merch table and grabs me and he goes you know because I'd met him briefly you know when I arrived you know uh, earlier for the show and and I was setting up the merch table and he goes this is really fucked up man everything is going wrong in this show you are the and David had told him to do this. <laughs> but I had no idea. And so when the guy first grabbed me, because he was a big guy, I was kind of scared. <laughs> then I, I figured out, I figured out on the fly what was really happening. And then I thought, oh, okay, well, my job is not to be scared. My job is to play the part like I'm scared 
and you know, act like Johnny Tromet had acted in years past when things really were fucked up at the show. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I tell him like, "Look, I'm just doing the best I fucking can." <laughs> you know? Well, and it was the best part, you know, was that there was people from Los Angeles, you know, or you know, near the table, not a whole lot of them because mostly they were, you know, in the venue seeing the show. But when they saw this commotion going on around the merch table, they started to move in. Hey, let's watch this. I mean, still, still maintaining a safe distance and maybe going back into the venue to bring their friends out to see, you know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I mean, thought, oh, what a marvelous idea David must have had. And, uh, you know, so, you know, there was some mileage there. I mean, in a, a recent radio recording that David did, when we were last in Cleveland, actually, last November, um, he was asked about the very beginnings of the Cleveland scene, and he said there were really only four people responsible for it, and you were one of those people he named in, in those four people. Um I mean, the, the record shop, not only did you have David and Peter and I think some others that went on to be in the in the various groups under the UB projects, Monica, working there. But I mean, so what what was your drive to do this record shop? What was what was your, well, your mission? I do love records. You know, I'm not a I'm not a very good or capable record collector that's all sort of, you know, I, I don't know where my records are or anything like that at this point. I mean, I listen to music a lot and I've always liked, I've always liked records. So the mission was to, you know, to be a part of that, to, you know, I, I always liked the uh, slogan of the UK label Immediate, Small Faces were on there and um, uh, which was uh, happy to be a part of the industry of human happiness. Yeah. Now, at this point, we all know the record business is a dismal, <laughs> a dismal likeness to happiness. There's, there's plenty of other stuff in there which is not desirable, but the music itself is. dropped out of college uh, while I was attempting that in uh, North Carolina and I got a work I got started working for a, a record chain record store called record bar that had a hundred stores at its peak and um, and you know so I, I learned a lot about all kinds of records that way and uh, I got fired after a while. My regional manager felt that I was dealing dope out of the place, which I wasn't. I was, I was using a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> but it never occurred to me. I should have been dealing dope out of there, but I, that, that never occurred to me. And uh, so uh, he had the manager, the, the guy under him, who was the guy that hired me in the first place, and we were wonderful friends for years, you know. Uh, 
But he sent my friend in to fire me. I, you know, I went berserk and threw records at his balls and, you know, it was just uh, terrible and ruined what could have been probably a lifelong friendship that way. Uh, and uh, went back to Cleveland because that's where I'm from and got a job at another record chain. I got fired from that one. You know, I Don't had tell a, me they thought you were serving dope too. No, but they thought that what was you know it's kind of like you know in uh, in Apocalypse Now where where uh, you know Brando says what uh, you don't approve of my methods <laughs> and, and, you know and Martin Sheen says I I don't see any methods so you know, so you know because it was. Like, I hadn't thought of the line yet, but it really was, you know, unique ideas lead to prison, you know. I mean, I'm a whack dude, you know, that's what can I say. Um, and where do I get these whacked ideas? Listen to records. And where? And what's so great about getting uh, whacked ideas, listen to records? Because records in their day, you know, they don't perform the same function they do, they did then. In their day, this was the most, this is where the most freedom of expression existed uh you know you could find out anything you needed to know via a phonograph record yeah um and you know stuff they wouldn't tell you at school stuff they wouldn't tell you about in look magazine or life magazine or you know that sort of thing so um it really it was the vehicle for freedom as i saw it first time you met david Tell us about that time. Do you even remember it? Or Yes. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, Peter had been working at the store. And uh, I met Peter because he was working. And I think he had, a, he had a record of being fired from different record store chain stores as well. Uh-huh. But he was working in a store um, not far from where the original drum was. But bef- and before the drum was open. And uh, I went in there, and they had a nice band of import records. So I was buying, you know, you know, Roxy Music and spin-off stuff and Can and the Crowd Rock and that sort of thing. And Peter brightened up when he saw me pawing through that stuff. And he goes, hey, if you like that stuff, you will really like the record my band is putting out. Uh-huh. And then he told me, you go to Coventry Books, you know, and, and buy... Um, uh, the first Ubu single. And uh, so that's how I first saw David's name and heard his voice. And then later, when my store, you know, about three months later, I opened my store. Peter was right there first week looking for a job. And so I hired Peter. And then Peter one day brought David into the store. And uh, David said, uh, you know, he said something like, oh, great, another record store. That's just what we need. <laughs> and I don't know, that wasn't exactly, you know, the praise that I like to get. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, but it said like, oh, this guy's interesting. Yeah. You know, I knew it from listening to the records, but because by then Final Solution was out, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, we, we, we carried that and, uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't really remember 
exact circumstances, but I just, uh, I got it in my mind that he would be good to work at the store because we, he certainly knew a lot about rock music. Yeah. And I was familiar with his writing from the scene, you know, magazine, and I, and I always enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't just dry reviews of pop music, but, you know, there was plenty of, you know, he wasn't really so much the reviewer like Peter was when Peter wrote uh, in publications about music. Uh, you know, David had like a whole Attitude. cultural viewpoint that that I really found appealing. So the friendship got, you know, pretty pretty deep and you guys shared a house, the the oh you're gonna have to remind me the disco drome home? The dis the disco home. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, as, as, as much as I would say, you know, I had previously said, you know, some of my marketing ideas were just too fucking obtuse. <laughs> you know, I, I do think in marketing terms, you know, I can't just have a home. It has to be a disco home because that rhymes with disco drone. Yeah. You know, and um, so, yeah, no, we lived together for, uh, God, I don't remember the exact number of years no offense johnny because i adore you and obviously i adore david but i i can't think to imagine the horror of you two sharing a house at a young young age Man, we held court. We drank a lot of coffee and smoked a lot of pot. And we had big plans for the whole world. (laughs) (laughs) And and saw many hidden meetings and, you know, bad science fiction movies we watched on TV and whatever, you know. Um, But it was very active, you know. There uh, There was always a mission. Yeah. I, I guess I felt like it was like the house, you know, when the period when David lived with me there, I I, I felt the house was, uh, it was kind of like the Johnny Carson show, you know. We'd just sit <laughs> at the table and have guest stars come in. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, just have some coffee, uh, maybe some pot, and you know, let's just uh, let's just talk a bit here. Yeah. And uh, so there was a lot of that, and uh, and then also, you know, David's a lot tougher personality than me. Come on, but David, you know, like so, and David had the history. You know, you got to remember. I mean, I'm glad to be included when somebody makes a list of people who were helpful. You know, are important in the Cleveland punk scene or new wave scene or whatever we want to call it. But you know, David predates me because he was in Cleveland. He was doing it. The uh, Rocket from the Tombs was doing it uh, while I was, you know, back in Toledo uh, managing a record store and you know working on getting fired. So. Uh, you know, I'm actually a latecomer, you know, electric eels and stuff. This is before my time. I knew about it, 
because you know I read the scene magazine came all the way to Toledo from Cleveland I go what a marvelous place Cleveland has turned out to be you know they're so they're so hip there and I spend every you know every other weekend I drive to Cleveland from Toledo but I mean uh, I mean it, I mean you mustn't <clears throat> play down your your part in the Ubu story because David often uh, tells me you know about how you you would stand at the photocopier and you would you would work so hard getting this artwork and then there's the famous story about you delivering uh, albums to New York record shops in plain or in what what artist was it that you well, delivered? We, we, yeah, we would. Uh, you know, I think it can be told now if it hasn't been that yes, me and the other person who I'm not going to name because I don't know if they agree that it can be told. <laughs> <laughs> yes, me and another person did make the Perubu the human bootleg. Square on there and said, 
the human, you know, live at um, Tri City Mall and uh, live at Club Wow, and uh, that's how the first ones came out. Well, I don't think we'd done more than a hundred or so that way. When you know, we said, "Oh God, we'll never get through the whole thousand this way." Yeah, I'll just put it right on. Just put it right on the cover, right over where it says Badfinger, right over where it says Patty Smith, you know, <laughs> and we'll just do it that way. So we had an assortment. So when we went up to New York to try to sell, you know, boatloads of these albums, we made a couple of sales by phone before we went to New York. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, there was probably six or seven stores up there you had to hit. And we wanted to store and get them, you know, 10. Okay, here's 10 bad finger covers. Well, we don't want them in that. I mean, you know, those other guys down the street, they got uh, they got Patty Smith covers. I said, okay, we got, we got Patty Smith covers. Hold on, let me go back to the car. So there you go. And part two will be coming up extremely soon. Uh, in the meantime, Mr. David Thomas has been in the studio and he is getting the U-Men ready for download on the new HeArpen page, which you can access via uboprojects.com. Go to Uboutique and you will see the uh, the link there. And I'll see you back here with Johnny Dramet very soon. It's me again! Oh! Yeah, it's me again!